If we were to all join a proper manners class, I can only imagine upon entering, the first thing we would all be scolded on is our posture. According to the Cleveland Health Clinic, to have proper posture is to sit up with your back straight and your shoulders back. Distribute your, your body weight evenly on both hips, bend your knees at a right angle, and keep your feet flat on the floor. So as I survey out in the crowd, I see maybe three people with good posture. But for the rest of you slackers, or should I say slouchers, go ahead and try sitting up with me. Fun fact, we are actually born with naturally good posture. But over time, and the stress of carrying heavy things like boxes or backpacks, and if any of you old people come at me sideways about, oh, if you just use your locker, your backpack wouldn't be so heavy. I know, but look, you all have bad posture too, so I don't want to hear it. It doesn't work. Anyway, this stress of heavy things weighs us down and distorts our once great posture. Almost like when you first become a Christian, it is easy to be fully on board the Jesus train, worshiping and praying every day and seeking out the kingdom of God more than ever. But as time goes on and daily struggles come our way, it is easy to pump the brakes and forget why we were on the train in the first place. It feels more convenient to just blame our problems on the world instead of offering them up to the one who made the world. Let us not become complacent in where we are now. Instead, let us walk out each day wanting to worship more. Let our peak of closeness with God be growing higher every day instead of when we first became believers. Now, for a disclaimer. The world is probably not going to accept worship because by worldly standards, it looks weird and feels uncomfortable. Just like it is much more comfortable to plop down on a beanbag chair until you stand up later and your neck is stiff it's easy to pop da plop down in the beanbag chair and be momentarily comfortable. But when we sit with correct posture, it is certainly not fun at first, but over time it is better for our bodies and cancels out the chances of stiffness later. Worship may be uncomfortable at first, but it is something that will literally benefit us for the rest of eternity. Not just this life here on earth where we look for instant relief, this good posture and worship allows us to access an eternity of comfort. So I challenge you all to hop off the beanbag chair with me and start seeking out this worship more. Let us relearn the freedoms that come from the amazing posture that is worship. As it says in 1 Chronicles 16, in the Lord's splendor, we find strength and joy. And I don't know about all of you, but for me, I could really use some more strength and joy after carrying all the heavy crap and sin that this world is full of. If we have someone who is willing, and here's the amazing thing, he wants to take all of the heavy stuff from us. Let's give it to him and then thank him and praise him for doing just that. As I look out into the audience, I see that all of you have slouched back down to your original not so stellar posture. But don't worry, because of Christ, there is forgiveness. He wants us to strive for this worship mindset, but he knows it is not going to happen overnight. But we need to start trying now. So everybody join me in thinking about how we are going to change to be more worship-minded people. 
and sit up straight. Am I live? Am I in effect? Awesome. Let's give it up for Katie one more time. Awesome, awesome. For those of you who don't know who I am, I am Brantley Massey. I am the senior privilege of giving the message um, this morning. I tried to be as Zach-like as possible. Got khakis on. I got an Under Armour large athletic shirt. I felt like it fit him. Just try to be like him as possible. Um, While I have a mic and you guys have to listen to me, um, I'd like to take a second. Um, Growing up, my dad instilled in us kids an attitude of gratitude. Um, So I think it's important that we appreciate people. So though we are honoring the seniors today, I would like to take a second and honor the pastors of Gateway Church, which are, off the top, real quick, Zach Butler, Jacob Woods, Sharon Alexander. I'm gonna throw Rick Alexander in there because he kills it too. Who else? Megan Truax, Adam Truax. Did I miss anybody? Scott Sterling, him too. (laughs) Scott Sterling as well. And special thanks to his wife for setting this thing up for me. She put the idea in Zach's head. But give a round of applause for those guys. They are so awesome. They do a whole lot for us. Um, I appreciate them greatly. Um, But yeah, I'm going to pray because I need it. So let's bow our heads, all right? Dear God, thank you for um, today. Thank you for your people. Um, Thank you for the seniors willing to help and set up and um, work hard for you. I thank you for the pastors for um, being good leaders and being well-read in your word. Um, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the message that you've given me. Um, Empty me of myself and fill me up with you because I need it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're gonna be looking at worship. We're gonna be looking at three different parts of worship. So the origin of worship, then we're gonna be looking at the rooted part of worship, and then the messiness of worship. So to start, of course, we're gonna start in Genesis, and we're talking about the origin of worship. So uh, if you wanna flip there, it's not gonna be on the screen because I didn't get it to them. Uh, But Genesis 2, 7 through 10, if you wanna flip there. I'll give you guys a second. You guys have five seconds. Five, four, three, All right, Genesis 2, 7 through 10 says this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the garden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So we look at the creation of man. God's first really cool creation is earth, obviously, but then we come next. And God is with us in this. We're in the garden. We're with God. There's community with God. There's intimacy with the Father. And anything that this man does at this point is an act of obedience, which in part is an act of worship. So God tells us to name the animals. We do so, that's an act of worship. So an act of obedience towards the Father is an act of worship. So this is all we know at this point in history. Man is just with God, we're in God, he's telling us what to do, and we're doing it. He's currently the one warding over our lives, right? Can we agree on that? Perfect. Okay, so then, of course, we botched the one thing we weren't supposed to do, which was eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We eat that. There's a fall of man, but right before God confronts us, in Genesis 3, 8, it says this. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So man's first mistake, and we flee from God. How true is that for us today in 2019 that as soon as we jack up, we immediately want to flee from God. And this has some major consequences. So we flee from God, which means we flee from the embodiment of love. We flee from the creator, our designer. We reject ourselves from the garden, which was a really cool place, I assume. And so there's all these negative consequences for us botching it, of course, right? So now all of a sudden, we're in the world by ourselves. We're swimming. We're in open water without a paddle. Um, we got to work hard for our earnings. The ground is all of a sudden hard, and we got to work for it. And we got to plant trees and do all these things where before God had just set it up for us. And now, in 2019, a lot of the things that we are going to go through are not things we were actually designed for. Because when God created us, he expected us to just be with him, and that he was gonna tell us what to do, and that we were gonna do it. And so there was just this, this awesome experience with God. So anything outside of worship or obedience towards the Father is not actually what we're designed for. So the label did not read, when, I, when God created us, the label didn't read sinner, it did not read rejected, it did not read selfish, it did not have a life expectancy, which I went down a rabbit hole of theology to prove that it didn't have a life expectancy. So if you wanna have that conversation, we can. Um, but the label read called, loved, kept, fearfully and wonderfully made and eternal. So again, we aren't designed for any of this stuff. So when someone close to us passes away and we lose it at the funeral, it's because we weren't designed for it. I went to a funeral recently. It bummed me out. It's not a good time. I wasn't designed to understand why people pass away. I wasn't designed for it. Whenever peers or others reject us, we don't get it. Why don't, why don't they love me? I always think of the Fresh Prince episode whenever he's, his dad leaves him without telling him. And he's like, why doesn't he want me, man? Why doesn't he want me? We don't get it. We were just supposed to be with the Father. He was just supposed to love us. We were supposed to hang out with him, right? We don't understand why the world is so jacked up. If you've checked Twitter recently, there's a big war going on. I'm not gonna get into it, but sheesh, man. There's a lot of crap going on in the world. It's not, it's not awesome out there. We can't begin to describe all of our sins. I can't count all of mine. I can't count that high. I don't know when all I jack up. I just know that I do. We don't understand it. We don't get it because we weren't designed for it. And anything outside of God isn't what we're designed for, right? So I often parallel this to a golden retriever. So follow me real quick. A golden retriever, you can give a golden retriever the biggest house you want, the biggest yard, you can give it the best food you want, you can pet it all day. You don't toss it a ball. Is it really satisfied? I, I was at a surprise birthday party for a girl recently and the dog of the household came up to me and I was petting it because I love dogs. And I pet it for a while and then it kind of left and it got a ball and it came back to me and I didn't toss it the ball because there were people around and I didn't want to break anything. It wasn't my home. But then it went to somebody else and then they pet it and then it eventually came back to me because they didn't throw the ball either. And I pet it. And once I started throwing the ball, the dog wanted to hang out with me a little bit more. It wanted to hang out with me. It wanted to sit with me. So in that same way, you can give man the biggest house, the biggest yard, the coolest car, 
a private jet even, the best food, whatever you want, but you don't allow yourself to worship, you won't, you won't do what you were designed for, then are you ultimately satisfied? Because, I mean, Drake bought a $200 million plane last week. I don't know if he's still satisfied with it, but I wouldn't assume so. It's a $200 million plane. This is a dope plane, guys. Like, this is the coolest plane I've ever seen. He's got his own, like, label on it, whatever. It's a really cool plane. I doubt he's still that interested in it. It's still newsworthy for, like, another month. But past that, I mean, it's not, it's whatever. Drake got a plane, that's cool, right? So if we don't allow ourselves to worship, then are we truly satisfied? Because that's what we're designed for, right? So now we get into the rooted part of worship. So what does scripture say about being in our natural posture and being outside of our natural posture? Jeremiah, let me actually look up the exact, where am I? Okay, Jeremiah 7 through 8, and then we're going to do 5 and 6, and then we're going to do 9. So jump around a little bit, but if you want to hang out with me, I'll be in Jeremiah 17, all right? So 7 to 8 says this, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So this is what it looks like to be obedient to the Father, to enter into a posture of worship with the Father. We're not anxious. We do not fear when he comes. Our leaves remain green. We're not anxious in the year of drought. We do not cease to bear fruit. Here's why. God knows us. He designed us. He knitted us together in our mother's womb. He knows what we need to feel satisfaction. He knows that this is it. This is what we need to feel satisfied, to feel whole. And it's not like a, hey, you have to do this or else. It's like a, hey, please come. I want you, come. It's a good time, I promise. And I'm sure someone in here is thinking that, like, oh, I mean, I got a pretty good gig going on right now. I mean, I don't, I don't think I need God. I got a hot wife, I got a lot of money, I got a nice house, whatever. This is what the word says about all of that. It says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness and in the, in the unhabited salted land. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the word gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to live outside of that. I'm sure we all understand that. We all understand what it looks like to live outside of the spirit, but it gives us this. We don't, this doesn't sound good. I don't want to dwell in a parched land where it's salted. I mean, I like salt on some things, but I don't want to live there, you know? So, give me one second. So doing things on your own and sustaining them aren't going to bring as much satisfaction as they would in Christ. So we see this, It's cursed without God, but it's blessed. We're not anxious. We're not fearful in God. So I'm sure you can do a lot of cool stuff outside of God. I'm sure you can. Drake bought a $200 million plane. I don't think he prayed about it. I think he just signed something. And he got a lot of money. So whenever we enter into our natural posture, worship, obedience, 
There's satisfaction in that. There's no fear in that. There's no anxiousness in that. It's good stuff. You can have satisfaction outside of what God has for you, but it's small, un poco. It's a little. It's not that much. It's not that fun. It's cool for a second, but overarchingly, is that satisfactory? Is that fulfillment in that? And if you, if you don't believe me that there's not eternal satisfaction in what you can find on earth, Look at the rich and powerful and the famous here currently. We got all kinds of people that have all kinds of money. I can't count that high how much money they have. They got, Drake's got a jet now. All kinds of cool stuff famous people have, right? And they still kill themselves. We look at Robin Williams' life, who was adored by people, loved by many, known to be happy and giddy. That was his thing. That was his thing was just happiness. And his life comes to a saddening close. So this isn't a like, I don't know how to say this. I'm not bashing him. Here's what I'm saying. There's not satisfaction in the applause from this world. There's not satisfaction in the things you can buy or the things you can feel here. There's satisfaction in the spirit. There's satisfaction in what God has for you. I want you all to understand the satisfaction in Christ and what God has for you. That's important. Worship is important. Worship isn't something that I've always understood. Growing up, I was kind of like, this is weird. Why am I standing over here? My mom's stomping her foot and has her hand up in the air. This is weird. I don't really get this. (laughs) She's mad at me right now. Um, But it's so good. It's so good. I don't care how you worship. There's no wrong way to worship. And Zach, before you start, no, you can't smoke a doobie in worship. We went through this a couple Wednesdays ago. You can't smoke a doobie in worship. But obedience to the Father, you cannot go wrong in obedience to the Father. Right? So, you good? (laughs) Hey, Nate, how you been? I saw you walk in late. James is right here if you want to say what's up to him. All right, moving along, <laughs> we're going to be looking at the messiness of worship. So the word says in Romans 12, 1, if you want to go ahead and flip there, if you like, you don't have to at all. Romans 12, 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Again, For the believers in the room, put on a lens of disbelief, if you will. This sounds weird. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is a little weird. It's a little strange, guys. So I often parallel this part to a drawing I did when I was five years old. This is a drawing I did... If you want to look at it, you can. If not, don't worry about it. James, what do you think about it? It's good. (laughs) It's good, apparently. So the reason is this. I drew this. It actually looks like I drew something, and then I scribbled it out because I didn't want people to know that I suck at art, so it was better just to scribble than to see what I actually did. Whenever I made this, I doubt anybody looked at it and was like, oh, I want that. That is awesome. That looks like the coolest thing. He is the next Picasso. Nobody was thinking that for five-year-old Brantley. 
I'm still not that artistic. I'm not very good at it. But nobody was thinking, this is super awesome. They were probably like, that's weird. There's room for improvement for sure. I don't really know what he was thinking getting into that. But my mom, when I gave it to my mom, she put this ribbon around it. She titled it. I guess I said it was God's Footsteps. I don't know. I might have been BSing at a young age. Put my name on it. Put August 2005. And she kept it. And whenever I was telling her about like, what I was talking about, she pulled it out and showed it to me. Here's why. Whenever a kid is drawing something, nobody really looks at it and is like, oh, that's perfect. If you want to look over here, I'm going to talk a lot higher of these than my own. But these are okay. There's room for improvement over here. We had some of the kids uh, draw those. It's some good stuff up there, I promise. But there's room for improvement. It's not perfect. I'm not going to go up and take it because I really want it. Nobody's bidding on it. It's not all that grand. It's not perfect. But I assure you, whenever the parents come up after, and I invite the parents to come up after and pick these up, the parents are going to want to keep that, if you're a good parent. (laughs) You're going to want to keep that. You're going to want to hang it up on the fridge. So I hope you guys all keep them. You're going to want to hang it up on the fridge because you see the time spent, there's intimacy in this. It's a personal gift, right? And that's important to you as a parent. In that same way, God doesn't look at you and look at all your imperfections and say, oh, well, they're a mess. I don't really want to hang that up on the fridge. It's not that cool. No, he doesn't look at you for that. He's just excited that you've presented yourself, that you've given him the opportunity to work with you. And he's excited to take you on that. So in that, don't expect Expect to look like this, actually. These are too good. Expect to look like this. It's a flipping mess. I promise you, none of you are perfect. And if you are, let me know. You might be the second coming to Jesus. I don't know. I haven't studied Revelation yet, but I'm sure that's a sign. This, isn't, this is what your life is going to look like. It's going to be messy. This is what worship is going to look like. It's going to be messy. It's not perfect. There's impurities. We're imperfect people. God knows that. He designed us. He knows that we botched it at the beginning. He gets it. But he still wants you. He still wants to hang you up on the fridge. He still wants to show you off. And that's important. It's important that we understand worship in that light. It's important that we understand that, yeah, no, we aren't perfect. Yeah, no, we don't get it. We don't understand it. But I'm still gonna present myself to God, God, not the God, God on a daily basis and ask, hey, what can be done of me? Hey, can I serve? Da, da, da. And again, nobody else is really gonna get this. So don't go to your friends at work or at school or whatever, whatever, and expect to co-sign on your faith. It looks silly to them. It looks like a bunch of scribbles. You gave how much to your church this month? 10% and then some? It's ridiculous. I would never do that. Why do you keep serving in the children's ministry? Those kids are annoying. Why would you do that to yourself? Why do you get up on a Sunday morning and get dolled up, or for us, not so dolled up? Why do you do it? (laughs) Why do you do it? What's the point? Don't expect them to get it. Don't expect the world to understand you. They didn't understand Jesus. I promise they're not gonna understand you. But offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's important that we get that. 
It's important that we toss ourselves a spiritual ball, that we give ourselves satisfaction. I'm gonna ask the band to come back up. I forgot to do that. Come back up. This is important. Worship is important. It's important that we understand true satisfaction in the spirit. It's important that we understand that it's not gonna be perfect, that it's messy. But most importantly, we need to understand that God is perfect and it's worth it. It's worth your time, it's worth your energy, it's worth your money, it's worth your life. All of this, if you didn't understand it, I'll leave you with this. Worship is important. Do it. If you don't know how to, ask somebody. There's a lot of things that you can do in worship. There's a lot of professions that if you look in scripture are actually worship. Being a teacher can be worship. Being a lawyer can be worship. Being a stay-at-home mom, I'm sure there's something about how great stay-at-home moms are in there. I'm positive. This is all important. So I leave you with this. Live your life in such a way that you are always in a posture of worship so that you will know satisfaction beyond human understanding, that you will bear fruit in all seasons, that you aren't anxious in anything. Again, it's worth your time. It's worth your energy. It's worth your life. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for um, your goodness, that you're perfect and we're not that we can present ourselves to you and that you still love us and that you still hang us up on the fridge and that you gave us an opportunity to enter into our natural posture in the midst of our messy lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.